Hey, happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you all. That's nice. Nice of you. Hey, um, as a son, fathers, uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, thank you for uh, who you are. Uh, thank you for the ways that you provide. Uh, thank you uh, for what you do for your families. Um, but also, as a dad, seeing the other side, now I'm going to be a dad this year of a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. And... Um, Thank you for all that you do, because I'm seeing what you guys are working through uh, personally. Uh, so thank you for all that you do. It warms my heart that we're in this together. Like, it absolutely warms my heart that we're in this together, and we've gathered here together. And I look out on this crowd, and I see such strong fathers. And I see uh, what you guys are doing in the community, what you guys are doing in your homes. And I'm honored to be part of this community. I'm honored to be a father in this community. Uh, and uh, it's amazing. So... I had a conversation with a good friend of mine last week. He's fighting the good fight for his family and crying really tear, real tears for his family. And so I know there are more of you out here. And so thank you for fighting the good fight for your family. Um, we are fighting and we are in this together. My dad retired from Eli Lilly in Indianapolis um, around 2006. And he had been there for 41 years. <laughs> Some of us... <laughs> Really, some of us don't keep jobs for 41 months. And so uh, he, he retired after 41 years at Eli Lilly in Indianapolis. And um, I went to greet him as he was leaving work his final day. And he came walking out with this little box. And I said, Dad, you've been here for 41 years, and this is all you can fit in this he said, no, the rest of the stuff's in there. Let's go get it. And so uh, I heard for years of my life about, oh, I, I hate it. Uh, it's, it's terrible. Uh, there's so many politics. You know, we get, we get discounted prescriptions, you know, this, that, and the other. But I hate it here, blah, blah, blah. And I, so I have all this memory going into this. And we walk in uh, to his little workspace cubicle. And um, there are pictures of, like, family pictures of me and my sister and our family pets and as a 27 year old or 26 year old whatever it was out like this light went off of my head I said oh I get it I get I mean I don't get it but I get it like I don't get all the complaining but I get some of the complaining like this is why you did what you did and guys out here you're probably a lot like me and my dad if you look around your workplace there are constant reminders of why you do what you do there's constant reminders of that you're going into work sick and you're going into work tired and you sit on the edge of your bed with one sock on and one sock off contemplating if they really need you that bad that day. Sometimes I do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm there with you. Um, but thank you for all that you do. And hear this from me. Uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, you are making a huge difference daily. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil this a little bit for us today. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat what we're talking about. And so uh, we are parking in Genesis chapter 22. And it's a section of scripture about, um, about Abraham and his son Isaac. And this chapter is so rich. We could talk about this for probably an entire month. And we've hit on it the last several weeks. But this passage that we're particularly looking at today is loaded with truth and loaded with stuff that we can take out of this out today this passage is perfect for father's day and finding jesus in the old testament because it displays for us 
what we do when we take our eyes off of our situations and we take our eyes off of our family and our kids and we put them on God. Not that putting your eyes on your kids are bad things, but it shows us and displays for us what happens when we run forward with our eyes focused on God and what God is doing and where God is leading uh, us. And so this, this passage is rich. And so what I want to do is begin with two questions. And one of our objectives of this series is to help, be, uh, help us better personalize Jesus through the stories of the Old Testament because it's always been about Jesus. If you look back in the Old Testament, it's always been about him. And so we want to better personalize us. And thus, when we better personalize the stories of Jesus in the Old Testament and the Bible, we let that drive our desire to, be, to become more biblically literate. So I, with that, I have a tool to help, this do, to help us do this better. And there's two questions. The first question is this. Is this true? Is this true? Is the story of Abraham and Isaac true? Was there a man named Abraham way, 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 many, many thousands of years ago uh, that, that we sing songs about? Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. We sing songs about, was, is this true? Is this true? Is the story of Abraham true? We just came out of an amazing series where we walked through how our strongest faith is on the other side of our deepest doubts sometimes. And so if you're here and you're wondering if this story is true, thanks for being here. Like, I, I, I love that you're here. I love that you're here and you're like, yeah, I, I really don't know about Jesus and I especially really don't know about Abraham and Isaac. I don't know about it. But you're in the right place. And we're taking steps together, and I'm going to tell you up front that uh, I do not have all the answers, and, but I will point you to the one that does. Uh, but we're taking these steps together. We're pursuing God together. We're trying to find answers together to solve this question, is this true? So if you believe this to be true, it naturally leads us to the second question. Number two, can and is this still true today? So the claims that are made in the Old Testament passage we're looking at today, if we believe this to be true, then do we believe that this is still true for us today? Do we believe that there is still application that is going to come to us out of this passage today? Do we believe this to be true? And can this still be true to us today? And so with that as the background, we're going to work through this chapter. Is, is, are there things that God was doing in Abraham and Isaac's life that we can apply to our lives in 2019 right now, right now. So with all this being said, let's look at Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to jump around a fair amount, uh, but the, you can follow along on the screens here. After these sayings, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here am I. I think this is especially interesting. I think Abraham's response here is especially interesting for us today. He says, here am I. Here am I. He doesn't say, yes. He doesn't say, what is it? He says, here am I. And I might be looking a little bit too far into this, that he says, here am I. I feel like this is his stance, and this is telling us a little bit more about him and about his relationship with God. So here's what I can liken it to. I'm a great dad. <laughs> If I have to preface it with that, it's probably not going great. So I am a great dad. But here's where I rest sometimes. I often, not that often, 
sometimes. I sometimes tell my kids, you are out of questions for today. <laughs> Does that make me a bad dad? No. Okay, so I, okay, listen, listen, I love you all. I have no more answers. Like, I've given you every single answer that I can think of. And so here's what I get regularly. Daddy, where are my underwear? <laughs> Daddy, where is my belt? Daddy, can you make us a sandwich? Often my re- reply is, what? Yes. What? What is it? But Abraham here, he says, here am I. And I might be looking again. I might be looking too far into this. But I believe the words that he chooses are a powerful description of his relationship with God. He is, to me, he is saying, here I am. Here am I. Here is all of me. I am your servant, and I'm continually ready to serve you. If you are in the midst of, your, of a trial, which I know you are because we read your prayer requests and we pray over these things. If you're in the midst of this trial, of a trial, and you're sitting in this room and you're in the midst of a trial, sometimes you ask, what is it now, God? What is it now? In the midst of your trial, what is it now, man? I can't tackle very much more right now. I think his, his response is very appropriate. He says these words, take, God says these words, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Here's what I think is interesting about this piece of scripture. If God tells me to take my, one of my kids and offer them as a burnt offering or as a sacrifice to him... I don't sleep. I don't sleep much. I'm going to think all night long about how I can get out of it. But God, there's probably an easier way. Let's not, (laughs) surely not my kid, right? Like you want me to be happy, right? Surely not my kid. And so I'm I'm reasoning all night long, and I'm not going to sleep a wink that night. But what I think is interesting about Abraham is that he rose up. He slept soundly. If this is me, I don't sleep a wink. And I can't even begin to imagine the conversation that he has with Sarah that morning, that they're starting to pack up stuff, and Sarah says, oh, it looks like you're going on a trip. Where are you going? Uh, going on a journey, and we're, I want to kill Isaac. Like, how does that work? <laughs> how does that even work? Think for a moment about the journey that Abraham was on. He had previously been childless and very, very, very old in age. He's coming to this point, and he and Sarah are very, very old in age when they're given their son Isaac. God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham, but he also throws this wrinkle into Scripture here. He says, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham's like, awesome. I'm 100 years old. But then he says... That one's mine. You take him and you sacrifice him. And so Abraham is living in this tension, in this moment. And this wrinkle that God puts him in is all about surrender. It's all about giving his best to him. You don't necessarily need to be a parent to feel the intensity of this. Anyone can see that this is a dark place in Abraham's life. Having to give up what he loved the most in the world. Isaac was not just Abraham's child. 
Isaac was also Sarah's child. He was also the absolute fulfillment of a new covenant with people. He was the new covenant. And so Abraham's living in this tension of, this is what you said, God, but this is what you're telling me now. But he's living in this tension, which, what, I don't know what to do. But Isaac was the hope for the future. Isaac was the hope for our future. And so he's living in this tension. Moving on, it says, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went from the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. And the boy and I will go over there and worship and come back to you. The boy and I will go to worship and come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went off, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, again, Abraham's reply, Here am I, my son. It's not what? He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both went, of the, both of them together. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bowed Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord came from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes up and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught up in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, and it said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God provides the lamb, and a swift angel led intervention, the hands of Abraham are stopped and the life of his son is spared and God is worshipped. God sees and knows the level of surrender that Abraham has to him. He sees the extreme faith and trust that he has in him. He knew that the lamb would be provided. He understood that the lamb would be provided. He believed in his heart that the lamb would be provided and he would be provided a way out. It was clear. God provides. God has shown up. He is the one that provides a way out. Two weeks ago, Chad shared from the 11th chapter of Hebrews, but here's what Hebrews 11, 18, and 19 says. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able. Say that with me. God was able. Even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did not receive him back. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. So he's leaving, living in this tension. He said, well, Isaac's the next one, and, and our family is based on Isaac, and, but he's also sacrificing. But I know that God can raise him up if he wants to. Like there's this level of surrender to know that God is able. God is able, and he has delivered, and he has provided. Many of you need to hear this good news before anything in this room, that God in your situation is providing. He's providing a way out, and we only need to surrender. Frank was the name of our janitor at Burkhardt Elementary School. And um, this was back in 
the early mid '80s, uh, and Frank was cool, <laughs> but and anybody older than my parents was super old. They were super old, but Frank might have been 75 or 80 at the time, and he was like a rock star at our elementary school. Like he'd walk down the hallways, and people are high-fiving him. Oh, there's Frank, there's Frank. And let me tell you why. Frank would come into the cafeteria, and there was like this anticipation. Like, oh, here's Frank. Who's he going to sit with? Like, this is awesome. And so you're like... Maybe it'll be us today. Like, I can't wait. Like, I hope it's Frank. I hope Frank comes and sits with us. And so he'd walk around, and he's talking to the teachers, and he's, like, spying out where he's going to sit down. Uh, But Frank would do this thing. When he sits at your table, uh, you're eating your bologna and cheese or whatever it is, and uh, Frank would pop out his dentures, his (laughs) tongue. Listen, listen. Frank would... And then he would clack them together like the wind-up clacky teeth thing. It's like, why you're trying to eat your lunch? And everybody's going nuts like, oh, yeah, Frank. Frank, he's doing his teeth thing again, man. He's doing his teeth thing again. And it was the most amazing thing in the world to watch Frank interact with our, with our class and do these things. And Frank was weird. Like, I look back, at it, I, I, I look, as a 40-year-old, I look back, I'm like, man, I don't know if I'd be cool with it if my kid's school janitor was walking around clacking his teeth during lunch. Like, I, I would not think that was cool or okay. But Frank had typical janitor housekeeping attire. Like he had a uniform, it said Frank, Burkhardt Elementary School, and he'd walk around, and he had a hat, and he wore glasses, but he had a giant key ring on his hip. And if Frank left his key ring at home, he is useless. Like that gets him into anything, paper towel holders, anything, it gets him into that. Because if Frank couldn't fix it, if Frank couldn't get into it, He couldn't clean or change it or make it different. If Frank couldn't get into something, he was useless without his key ring. You were given a key this morning when you came in. Symbolically, some of you need to see that God has provided. And some of you guys need to look at this key in your hand and and say to him that I'm still trying to hold on to something. You say, you know what? God, I'm giving you my family, and I'm giving you my house, and I'm giving you my car, but the, my job, you can't, you can't have that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock it away, and I'm going to keep the door shut, and you can have everything else, God, and you, can, and you reason with him. Like, I'm giving you every single thing except for this. I'm going to hold on to this, and this is my key I'm keeping. You can have the rest of the keys, but this is mine. But we see here that God is providing a way out, and yet we still run, and we take this key, and we're like, man, nobody's getting behind that door except for me. And we run, and we pursue, and we collapse into other things. But until we give God the keys of all of the key ring of our lives, he can't get in and change and clean and fix anything. You see, the way I see it is that we all, everybody sitting in this room has a potential Isaac that you're going to think in your life, God, is there any other way? Surely not this. <laughs> Surely not this. And so I'm going to keep this behind me, but I'm going, to, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to stay focused on you and what you want to do in my life, but I'm going, to, I'm going to keep this locked away because we all have the potential to not give him keys back, and we all have this potential to lock something away. But if God can't get in and unlock it, He can't clean or change anything. Moving on to the next section, 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have what? Read this together. Obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. They rose together and they went to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Abraham is unlocking not only his future and the future of his family, but our future. That includes us and the church because he obeyed God's voice. I can't help to think that along this journey, Abraham thought, God, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way as he's walking and moving with his son for three days. Surely there's another way. Last week, Darren said, maybe God is doing something more through you instead of to you. Jesus, with this understanding, after he and the disciples fed 5,000 people with bread and fish, they had this mountaintop experience. He comes in and gathers them around, and he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is holding nothing back and obeying with all of his heart. Abraham understands God's goal for us is not to save us, not only to save us, but to refine us in these moments. So he obeys God's voice. Jesus understands from the get-go, God's goal for his church is not to save us, but to refine us. So in the end, in the end of his life, he says these words, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This is my cup. This is my life that I'm getting ready to give up for mankind. If you are willing, take this from me. Don't, I don't want it. Take this from me. But then he follows it with this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Because he's obeying God's voice. We breezed over this um, previously, and this is where we're going to kind of land this morning, is, is this section. The angel says, do not lay your hand on the boy or anything, do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God and you have not withheld, say that with me, not withheld, your son, your only son from me. There is a cost of redemption. And it begins with surrender. It begins with not holding back. Isaac, who is carrying the wood that would be his own method of sacrifice. Abraham allowing his son, allowing his son to carry the wood that would be his own method of sacrifice. Foreshadows Jesus carrying the wood that would be his method of his sacrifice. And God allowing himself to end the madness. And establish a new covenant in our name and our honor for mankind, for the sake of mankind. It begins with not holding anything back because there's a cost at making us right. There's a huge cost. And we have countless times in scripture that examines the cost of redemption. 
And from the beginning of time, people were celebrated by what they withheld and what they kept locked away from God. And they said, you know, you can have everything else, but you can't have this. From the beginning of time, there are separations from people. But God has always wanted our very best because he gave his very best. God has always wanted his ver- our very best because he gave his very best. And even before he gave his very best, he was going to give his very best. God has always wanted our very best because he gave his very best. Back in the beginning of time, in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn, the very best, the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. There was a definite dividing line during the Passover, during the first Passover after the plagues when the Israelites left Egypt that God ordered that the lamb should be sacrificed should be without blemish. That God wanted of all things that don't bring the worst thing in sacrifice. That I want your very best, like without blemish. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into an offering box and he saw the poor widow put two, in, two small copper coins and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow put more than any of them for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. There's a cost of redemption and that cost is rather high but we are to give God our very best because he gave us his very best. He provided us a way out. He gave us his very best. Here's a picture of my firstborn. (laughs) This is one of my very best. Like, this is all I have to offer. This and the other one that lives in my house. (laughs) Like, this is it. That's it. Um, But when, uh, when I found out that we were having a baby, like, I was overjoyed. Like, over, absolutely overjoyed. And in that moment... I began talking to it. I wasn't sure that it was a little girl yet, but I began talking to it and the little small baby. Daddy loves you. I don't know what you look like yet. I don't know if you're a boy or girl, but Daddy loves you. And Daddy's here for you. And then things progress, and I have these moments every day where I talk to my wife's belly. Daddy loves you. Daddy wants what's best for you. You can trust Daddy. Daddy loves you. I don't know what you look like, but I don't care. Daddy loves you. And then we go to the ultrasound picture where we find out if it's a boy or girl. And Amy drank a Dr. Pepper before we went in there. And so the little baby was like this. Like, it looked like she was riding a bike. And the ultrasound tech said, it's a little girl. And so I knew, Daddy loves you, little baby girl. You can trust me. I love you so much. I don't even know what you look like yet. I just love you so much. And then we landed on a name. Her name is Madison Joy. And then I started calling her by name because I knew that I wanted her first voice that she hear, other than her mother, is to hear me and to know that I could be trusted and that I loved her. And so, Madison Joy, I really love you. I don't know what you look like, but I really love you. And you're my baby. And I love you. 
And then she comes out, and just like any new dad, she's perfect. Like, I love her. Like, I'm, I'm over the moon about this kid that, that God is picking me and all of, my, like all of the dumb stuff I've done in my life that I, I can be responsible for two little kids now. Like, this, this is amazing to me. So I'm holding this daughter of mine, and, and she hears my voice, and I talk to her, and I say, I love you. You're my very best. Like, I love you. I love you, baby. I love you, Madison Joy. And, and then she starts opening her eyes, and we start making a connection, and we learn to trust. She learns to trust me. Like, this is one of the first voices that I've heard. I can trust this man who's holding me. He's not a stranger to me. And so we go in to the doctor's office, and I know that something is going to happen that's un- inevitable, that it just has to happen. And so I'm playing with her, and the doctor says, okay. It's time to take off her jammies, and, and so I take off her jammies, and I'm playing with her, and okay, now put her on the table, and so I take Madison, and, I, and we're, our, our eyes are connecting, and she knows that she can trust me, and so she's laying on the table, and she's looking at me and doing little baby things like this, and I, I, I love you. I love you. I'm, I'm sorry this has to happen, but I love you. I'm sorry this has to happen, and then the nurse comes in, and she opens alcohol, prep pads, and she rubs them on her fat little legs like this, and then I know what's about to happen, and and there's thoughts that go through my mind that I'm like, could there be another way? Could I just take these shots? I don't want to do this yet. I can't watch this happen. These are all the thoughts that are going through my head, and I'm an emotional dude anyway, and so I'm like, hey, can we just do this like next week? Like... This is tough. Like, and so I know what's going to happen, and she's still doing her baby thing and just looking at me like, I trust you, man. You're my dad. You're one of the first voices that I heard. And then the, the doctor comes in, and she pulls the, the two syringes out, and, and our eyes lock. And she bursts into tears. And I do too. And what I will tell you is that I could have that day done anything else to make her not go through that pain. I would have taken it on myself. The shots don't, they don't bother me. Just give them to me. Let's just do it some other time. But I'm I'm watching this baby and she looks at me like, I thought I could trust you. I I thought I could trust you. You're one of the first voices that I heard. I thought I could trust you. And then I'm looking at her and then I... I over-spiritualize everything. And so I'm like, maybe this is what God felt a little bit when he watched Jesus cry out something that he didn't deserve. And he watched, watched his son go through this pain. And so then I get more emotional. I start repenting for stuff I didn't even know I did. <laughs> and I started crying more. And I'm like a basket case in, in, this, in the doctor's office. Like, you know. But church, let me tell you this, this fat little baby on the left doesn't become the pretty little girl on the right if I intervene. The fat little baby on the left doesn't become the 10-year-old if I say, you know what, I'll just do it. It's too hard. It's too hard. Abraham, if he withholds, if he withholds Isaac, it changes us dramatically. The church doesn't become the church, and it's something else. Jesus, if he is withheld by God, we are still stuck 
trying to figure it out ourselves, and we're doing a terrible job at it. So if God withholds Jesus and says, you know what, it's too hard. We'll think of another way. They can just keep sacrificing animals or bringing in their crops or doing whatever. It makes it extremely difficult for us to make things right. And God ends the madness. We come to a time that we do every week where it's a time for us to respond. And the way I see it, that there's, there's three ways that we can do that today. Is that everybody got a little key when they came in. And here's what I can tell you is that our prayer team will be in the back and I'll be here. Or you can lean over to somebody. Some of you guys need to give, give this key away. Because you've been running and you've been hiding and you've been locking doors on God for far too long. And some of you symbolically of your trust in him and to obey him, you need to give this to a friend. You need to give this to somebody else and say, it's over. The madness stops today and I'm giving this to you. Those of you that are in a pretty good place and you're in a good rhythm with God right now, I think you need to take this and put it on your key ring. Because we're all capable of having Isaacs, right? It may not be a little boy, but it may be a job. It may be a car. It may be a relationship. You fill in the blank. We're all capable of having an Isaac. The second thing that could happen is this, is that you find somebody. It might be somebody you're sitting with. It might be today at at an awkward lunch for Father's Day. I don't know what it means to obey God, that you just bare your soul and you say, I don't know what it means to obey God. I really don't. That you come and talk to somebody. The final way we can respond, and the band's going to come back out in a few moments, we're going to respond together as a church family and participate in a meal that we do weekly, and it's the most important thing we do each week. It's a response to him because he has not withheld his very best from us, and that we get to face this world that is tough and that is hard because he allowed his son to carry his own wood for our sake to end the madness and so we participate in in communion each week to celebrate that and so during these moments feel free to move any way that you feel led to find somebody to talk to find somebody to talk to find find somebody on the prayer team or find a staff member whatever it may be find a friend somebody that you trust and talk in these moments let's pray together